Good morning. It's good to see everyone here today. I really enjoyed the selection of songs this morning. Once again, Andrew, I was thinking, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 1, is where we're going to be in our passage today. You know, some years ago we were seeking to go on a short-term mission trip, and Gil Vargas from Spain was here, and he invited us to bring a group there to Spain to work with him. And he was telling us a little bit about the culture there and some of the things that they eat, and he said that there's a saying amongst missionaries, which I see now is taken from that song we sang, uh, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. But the second line was, What He Feeds Me, I Will Swallow. And uh, that's easier in your own culture, right? But you go to another culture and things are different. And sometimes things are put before you that uh, 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 might be a little bit more challenging. And uh, thankfully, things weren't so bad in Spain. But uh, I'm sure if we all got together, we'd have some really interesting stories about that. Uh, but it is neat to consider the many backgrounds and cultures that this world has, right? And and God has made them all and and... He understands each and every one of us. Sometimes we misunderstand each other because of our differences in our backgrounds, right? But we're going to see today as we take a look at our Savior just how much He knows you and me. And just how much He loves you and me. Just who you are. Just who I am. In spite of who we are sometimes. But that's just how great of a God and Savior He is. And um, I, I hope that you will enjoy our time in John this morning as much as I have this week. It's been a real blessing for me personally. Uh, but before we actually get started, may, will you just join me as we look to the Lord in prayer one more time? Lord, thank you for your word. I want to thank you that there are those who sacrificed, in some cases, their very lives to put your written word in our language so that we can have it. And because of that, Lord, we are able to know you. We are able to know how we can know you. And, and, and you have revealed your mind to us. You have revealed truth to us that we would know no other way. And, and we would thank you this morning also for the living word of God, our Savior himself, who came into this world. And what a culture shock that must have been to go from heaven to come to earth, to a, a fallen and broken world, in order that he might... Uh, uh, pay the full penalty of our sin and rebellion and disobedience that he might bring us back to himself, that we might truly have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, this morning, as we take a look at him once again, we just ask that you would give us new eyes, a fresh understanding of, of, of our Savior, that we might be drawn to him, that we might desire to walk with him in our daily lives moment by moment. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you personally already, and they're not quite sure how they can have that relationship restored, Lord, we pray that you would make it clear to them so that they can uh, be saved from their own sin and enter into an eternal relationship with our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. We just commit this time to you and ask that he indeed would receive all the honor and glory, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, the young people out back are studying these things along with us. And uh, it was interesting as as I was hearing some of the questions that came up from some of the young people that 
I thought to myself, oh, that makes sense. I didn't think to explain that or, or whatever. There was several of them and I realized, you know what? Sometimes we take for granted some information and don't realize that sometimes our ideas may not be as clear as we think. And so as we dive into John chapter one this morning, I just wanted to give just a brief big picture view as we, as we, as we come back to, to take an overview and dive in, right? Now, John is one of four books in the Bible that we call the Gospels, right? The word gospel means good news. And the reason they're good news and the reason they're placed in the Bible where they are is because with all of the troubles that mankind got themselves in because of our own sinfulness, God had been promising that he would send a savior or a deliverer to bring us back to himself. And the good news is he came. And so four writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have written books to picture for us the life of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can know and understand the heart of God towards us, no matter what background we are from, so that we can enter into that relationship. And that's why there's four of them, right? One of the most watched TV events of the year is the Super Bowl. And they have, I forget, what is it, 20 different cameras watching the game because... Sometimes they can't quite catch everything from one camera angle and they go to another to see what was really going on. And, and the Gospels are kind of like that in the life of Jesus. Four books looking at one life, but, but each of them have their own view or perspective of how they've observed Christ in his life and they present them to us. And, and because of their different backgrounds in life, different people can relate differently to our Savior who came for everyone. And uh, without getting too deep into that, we're going to be looking at John's view of Christ as he knew him and learned from him and walked with him through his life. Now, one of the things that is interesting to note is that Jesus had 12 special disciples. He had lots of followers or disciples, but 12 whom he specifically chosen and he named apostles. And the word apostle is a special word that means someone who was sent. He said, I'm going to choose these 12 because I want them to spend extra time with me so that when the time comes, I can then send them out and they will understand me and my message and be able to carry it to the ends of the world. And so there were 12 different apostles and a little trivia for us all. Can we name all 12? If not, we can go back to the Gospels and find them. Luke, Mark chapter 3 is where I went to make sure I had my list. And uh, interesting to note, right, Two of the writers of the Gospels are not in those 12 apostles. But they were so close to Christ and those who walked with Christ that upon hearing it for so many years and knowing the truth of it, they wrote it down for us. And um, that's not one of the ones we're going to be looking at today, however, right? John was one of the closest friends that Jesus had when he was here on earth. And he gives us a very intimate view of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here in John chapter 1 as the beginning of his telling of the story. Can I just say, and if you want to actually read it along with me, you can keep your finger here in John 1. One of the things I like about John and his writings is he usually tells us why he's writing. Isn't that helpful when you pick up a book or a story? Is like, what is the point of what they're trying to say? Well, John doesn't want there to be any doubt. And both in his letter at the end of the Bible, 1 John, and here in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says this, he said, truly Jesus did many other signs that were the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus did lots of miracles, which he called signs because they were to help point us to the truth about Jesus. It says, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, 
which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He said, listen, of all the things that Jesus said and did, I wanted to write these because they are especially helpful to to help you, the reader, see that Jesus really was the Savior. He really was and is the Son of God. And so that when you come to believe that, you will find everlasting life through him. That's why John wrote the book. So that's why sometimes if someone gives you a Bible... It's a big book. And people say, well, where should I read? Many people will say, read the Gospel of John. You get a personal look at our Savior. Not only a man who lived on earth, but as we're going to see today, the Son of God who came to live with us that we might live forever with Him. So there's our overview, background of where we're going to be reading today. And and we've begun this book in John chapter 1. Uh, and, and we've been introduced to our Savior with, wow, there's so much there. We can't revisit it all. We've already been through the first 34 verses. But we, it's interesting to note how many names or titles have already been ascribed to our Savior. The Word of God. The very mind and heart of God communicated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He was called by John this last week. And actually, I'm going to go back and pick up this writing. Uh, John, the Baptist, is one of the first characters we're introduced to besides Jesus in this book. Can we just say, this is one of the things that had to be clarified. The John written out in, in this part of John, chapter 1, in the opening verses, is John the Baptist. And so, John 1.6 tells us that, yes, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that is, of Jesus, so that all through him might believe. Now, we're going to see how John the Baptist will set the stage in preparation for the Lord Jesus. And um, and so, he began going out into the wilderness to preach to the people, to prepare them for the Savior coming. And then people began to come to him and ask, Are you the Savior yourself? And he had to tell them, No, I'm not. But there's one coming behind me who's greater than me. He's the one you're waiting for. And that's where we pick it up here. Then in John chapter 1, I'm going to come back here then to John 1.26. And we're going to read from there to the end of the chapter. All right? John 1.26. John the Baptist answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. And it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. That is, he remained upon Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. 
Verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He, Jesus, said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And Father, we thank you again for your word. We, we ask you to bless its reading as we've listened to it already today. And Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to learn what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are. John the Baptist comes on the scene. As we saw at the beginning of this chapter, it says this man was sent from God. God had a purpose for the life of John the Baptist. And it says even before he was born what that purpose was. God revealed it to Zacharias, his father who was a priest, and said that he would be the forerunner to prepare the way of the Savior. And we see in this chapter the fulfillment of that calling upon his life. He was here and he came and bore witness of Jesus saying, this is the one whom God promised to send. He's finally here. Get ready. Prepare your hearts. Repent. And they would come to John and he would baptize them, symbolizing the work of God that they were desiring, the cleansing of their hearts, like that we use water to wash ourselves here on earth. But uh, this was his means of simply introducing Jesus to the people and introducing the people to Jesus. Can I just stop and say... Do you know that God has a purpose for your life? That your life from the beginning has meaning? We don't hear that enough. We live in a society that has rejected the word of God. God tells us that we were made in the image of God. Unlike all the other creatures here on earth, and there's some pretty wild and amazing creatures 
but they weren't made in the image of God. God took the time in Genesis 1 to say, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. And, and he formed man and woman and put them in the garden as a special creation. And he gave them meaningful work to do, to tend and keep the garden, to name the animals. And, and they began that journey. But you know, sin came into the world and, and totally messed up the experience that they were having. Brought separation between man and God because God told him, the day that you disobey and you eat from that fruit I told you not to eat, you will surely die. They became separated from God when they ate that fruit and it changed everything in their experience because they weren't made for that. They were made to live life with God. But um, God began even there in the garden to promise that he would send this Savior... But many times throughout the Bible, God reminds us that we are a special creation of His, that He has a plan for us. God would say in Psalm 139 that before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. All the days fashioned for me, David says, you knew all about them before even one of them came to be. God would tell Jeremiah the prophet that He had called him to be a prophet before he was even born. He would even tell the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29 when they had been disobedient and he had said, listen, if you don't respond to my word, I'm going to allow the other nations to come cart you off into captivity and you'll be slaves in their country for 70 years. And that's exactly what was happening. And when they were departing, God had Jeremiah write a letter to them and say, listen, even now I know the plans I have for you and they're plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Here, even in his discipline, he was reminding them, I love you. I have a purpose for you and it's for good. Now listen, on this little speck called Earth, in a, a small little teeny hidden corner of the Milky Way galaxy, in a small part of a very vast universe, it's hard to feel significant. But the Bible says God is watching your life and mine with intense care and love and interest and he has a purpose for you just like he did for John the Baptist and it's encouraging to me to see how John fulfilled that calling God revealed to him what it was and he he led him along the way look it says here that we just read in um, verse 33 I didn't realize who this one was but he said the one who called me and sent me to baptize said to me, the one when you baptize him and you see the Spirit of God descend and remain on him, this is the one. He's the one I'm sending you to introduce to the world. And that's what happened. And so John said, there he is. Look, there's the Lamb of God. Come to take away the sin of the world. And he introduced the people to Jesus. And so he said, listen, verse 34, I have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. He was fulfilling his purpose. God wants you to fulfill yours too. But you've got to look to Him. What He said to the Israelites in Jeremiah 29, He said, listen, yes, I know you're, you're being carted off into slavery, but listen, you will seek for me and find me when you turn and seek for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. God desires to reveal Himself to us. That's why He sent John to introduce... He was preparing the people for Jesus' coming. And I believe that God has been preparing each and every one of us for what He's doing in our lives. And He's prepared you for this day. And if you're here today and you don't know Him as your Savior, He wants you to know Him today. 
If you're here today and you already know him as Savior, he wants to remind you of that special purpose he has for you and to encourage you to keep on working, to let him work it out in your life one step at a time. So, John now introduces the people. The preparation work is done. And I love this. Verse 35 says, It was the next day that John was now standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, and he's not preaching to the masses anymore. He's just speaking with two of the people who were following him, listening to the message of John the Baptist as he was preparing the people. And John says the same thing he said the day before. He says to his two disciples, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. He sees Jesus walking by and he says, hey guys, look, there he is. That's the Lamb of God. Watch him now. Take take note of him. Behold, the Lamb of God. And something very interesting happens here. Here with all the people, with all the people around with John preaching the day before, he says the same thing. Here's the Lamb of God. We don't read that it happens then, but in the private conversation John has with two of his disciples, and when they hear him say, there's the Lamb of God, verse 36 says, I'm sorry, verse 37 that the two disciples heard John the Baptist speak and they followed Jesus. Sometimes we get discouraged when we tell our kids things and it seems like it's not getting in. Isn't it weird sometimes that someone else comes along and says the same thing? It's like, oh yeah, and you're like, I said that! I said that! I'm sure my parents said the same thing about me, right? It's like, I said the same thing, right? But, But somehow the context of things makes a difference sometimes. And we, I think, put too much stock in the public ministry. Not that there's anything wrong with that. John the Baptist was used by God in a public setting to preach the word of God and people were drawn to him. But I think we forget how powerful our private lives are in our personal conversations with people. The same two disciples who heard him the day before we're standing with John, and he said, there's the Lamb of God, and they began to follow Jesus. Maybe you're like me, and you get afraid to speak up in those private conversations. We'd rather invite someone to the public preaching. Do that. These two disciples were there for the public preaching, but the, the actual moment of their decision to follow Jesus happened in that private conversation. So if you would like a private conversation today, pull one of us aside after the meeting, we'd be glad to follow up with you if God's working on your heart today. But these two disciples hear John's words and begin to follow Jesus. Now, I like this part. There's three main points. There's a lot of little things along the way that we're going to talk about today, but the three main points I'd like to leave with you today is we're going to notice Jesus' observation, His invitation, and the last one doesn't rhyme, I'm sorry, His promise, okay? Here it says in verse 38 that Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? Although Jesus was walking by and John said, there's the Lamb of God and they began to follow, Jesus was aware of those disciples. And as soon as they began to follow him, he turned and seeing them, he asked them a question. But I'd just like to stop here for a moment, and we're going to see this as we go throughout the passage, is that Jesus was paying a lot of attention to these disciples. In some cases, we're going to see it was miraculous, the knowledge that he had. It wasn't something he witnessed with his eyes. It's something he knew when they were somewhere else. Because God knows us inside and out. This is part of the way John 
the writer of this book, John the Apostle, is revealing to us that Jesus really is the Son of God because God knows everything. And he knows what's going on in our lives and he knows what's going on in our hearts. But Jesus observes them. He knows what's going on in their lives. He sees, first of all, that they are following. Can I just say, this is a very important point. When Moses was there in the wilderness taking care of his sheep, the Bible says that God came to talk to him one day. And he came in a bush and the bush was on fire. And it was because God was in the bush. And it says that Moses saw the bush and he noticed that although the bush was on fire, it wasn't being burned up. It wasn't being consumed. And so the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses said to himself, hmm, I should stop and check this out and see what's going on with this bush, why it's not burning up. And it says, when God saw that Moses turned aside to look, God spoke to him. No, God was there all along. Why didn't God just call out to him as he's passing by and say, hey, hey, Moses, come, 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 come here, I, I want to talk to you. No, God was working in the life of Moses, doing something that when Moses turned aside to check it out, God met with him there and spoke to him. This is what I see happening in John chapter 1. These disciples, they have their eyes on Jesus. They're hearing the words of John the Baptist. And they say, okay, he says, we're going to follow him. We're going to go check out what John is saying. And so they begin to follow. And as soon as Jesus knows that they are following, he turns and he addresses them. And uh, I would say this is important. Because God is watching everything going on in our lives. He knows everything going on in our lives. But is it possible that he wants to speak to you and to me about something specific? But we're not ready for the message. Because we're too busy running from here to there and not turning aside, drawing close to Jesus so that he can speak to us. This is hard. Listen, not only is American culture fast-paced and crazy, but South Florida in particular. You know, when I went to college up in the Midwest, things got cold in the winter, and you know what? People went inside. They sat by a fire for a while, and life slowed down. I wasn't used to that. I, I didn't even realize what a difference it made until I came back to South Florida. I thought, oh my goodness. <laughs> we just go from really crazy speed to extra crazy speed at Christmas, and then we get back to crazy speed. We're just busy. But I think we're missing out. It's going to take purposeful effort on our part to follow the example here, to draw near to the Lord that he may speak to us and, and communicate with us. But, but here's the beautiful thing. What Jesus does do it, just like he did with Moses. He does it here with these disciples. And so he turns and sees them following and he speaks to them and says, what do you seek? And it says, they say to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher, where are you staying? Now, isn't this a silly thing? If he is the son of God and knows everything, why is he asking, what are you looking for? Right? Have you asked yourself that question? If he really knows, why is he asking? And it's not for Jesus' benefit, right? It's for theirs. There's something about us articulating what's in our own hearts that is helpful to us. God already knows. Why do we even pray if God knows everything? 
There's something about looking to him that is a very important part of his work in our lives. And and so just like when Adam was in the garden and he sinned and he was hiding from God and God says, Adam, where are you? He knew. But he wanted Adam to admit it. He wanted Adam to come out with what was in his heart. And, you know, sometimes that's what we need to somehow figure out how to articulate, to understand what's going on in our own hearts. And, and so he says to them, what do you seek? And so they say, well, rabbi, which is to say teacher, there's another title uh, attributed to Christ here in this chapter. Where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, verse 39, come and see. Now we get to our invitation. Not only was Jesus observing them, but notice he gives them a special invitation. They've already started following, but when he says, what are you looking for? He wants them to know, I want you to come near. Come and see. And so he invites them to into his life. And it says, they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour. Now, I find this very interesting. First of all, that it's the 10th hour. This is eyewitness account, right? Did you ask yourself when we read the, we read the chapter, who were those, 12, those two disciples who were with John? Now, we find out here that one of them was Andrew. Who was the other one? His name is not given. I'm convinced it's John the Apostle. Because he's the only one that writes about this day. Because I believe he was the one that was there. And he heard the conversation. He saw these things. And so, Jesus says... Come near, come see, spend time with me. And how do I know that's the case? Listen, the word here, we don't see it in English. When they say, where are you staying? The word for staying is the word meno in the Greek, which is to abide, to remain. He says, where are you abiding or hanging out? Where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they came and see where he was staying and they remained, same word, meno. They remained with him the rest of that day. They said, where are you hanging out? He says, come see, and they see where he's spending time and remaining, and they remain with him. Jesus says, come along, spend time with me. That's what Jesus wants from us. It's what we were called to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, you were called to this to have fellowship with God's Son, to have an intimate communion in your own personal life with Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling them to come for. Not just, okay, you can see, here, here, here's, my, here's my sleeping bag. No. Here's my life. Join me in it. That's what he's saying. And that's his invitation. And I would say to you today, that's God's invitation for your lifetime, for your eternity, is to come abide and remain with him. And he's offering the same invitation to you. Yes, like Adam, your sin has separated you from God, just like me. But the reason Jesus came was so that he could pay the penalty for our sin, which is death. And if we had to try to pay it, we'd spend forever in hell and still never finish paying for it. But Jesus, who had no sin, went to the cross and fully paid for your sin and for mine so that the sin problem could be taken out of the way and we could be restored to a relationship with him in all freedom and have everlasting life with him, abiding with him forever. And that's the invitation he's giving you. And if you've never done that, listen, do it today. There's a lot of accidents out here on this road. Some of them right here at this corner. There's no guarantee we'll make it home today. But I'll tell you this, if you know Christ is your Savior, you'll make it all the way home to heaven because he'll take you there if you've turned to him for the forgiveness of your sin. And that's the invitation that he gives. Come to me. And so they came to him and they began the walk through life with Jesus. 
He says here that one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Let me just come back to this second apostle. I encourage you, if you, if you have doubts about that, and if you come up with a different answer, tell me, because it's not written somewhere in specific that it is John. But here's what I notice about this disciple that remains unnamed throughout the book. When John does refer to himself, he talks about one of the sons of Zebedee, James's brother, he might even, but it's always in regards to something that he did that wasn't so wonderful. They were arguing about who was greatest. His mom is the one that came saying, hey, can you give my sons a special place in the kingdom? He's willing to own himself there. But in every single part of the book where he gets some sort of special treatment or he's highlighted in some way, he keeps himself anonymous. I like that about John. Here he was sitting closest to Jesus at the Last Supper, indicating a very special, close friendship. And he just says, well, the disciple that Jesus loved was there. In this case, one of the two disciples who was there. Listen, he could be claiming, I was one of the first disciples Jesus had. But we don't see that. A very humble man. But he wasn't always humble. That's why Jesus gave him the name, the Sons of Thunder. (laughs) They had a quick temper that would get unleashed really quick. But see, the work that Jesus did in their life changed him by the time he wrote this book. So he kind of keeps himself hidden. But one of the two was Andrew. And I love this. It says the first thing that Andrew did, verse 41, was he found his own brother, Simon. And he said, Simon, we have found the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one we keep talking about. We found him. And he is just so overjoyed now that he has found the Savior to introduce him to his brother, introduce his brother to the Savior. And I know that a lot of you can relate to that. You have family members who have not come to Christ yet, and you know the burden in your heart for them. And I pray that God would help us this year to be the people who will introduce others to Christ. Again, we have a list that we're praying for people that we know by name on Wednesday nights who we know don't know the Lord that God has put on our hearts. And we're praying that God would help them to come to Christ, maybe through us. And if you have a name you'd like on that list, let us know. We want to be praying for the souls that Jesus came to save, who he's placed us in their lives to tell. And here, Simon, (laughs) he follows his brother's uh, uh, call and he comes to Jesus. And it says, verse 42, that Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, ha, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Jesus gives him a new name. And I like this because, you know, what we see in Peter is fairly unstable. He's very volatile. But Jesus doesn't just see in Peter what he is now. He sees what he's going to become. He sees what he can become. And he says, ah, I got a name for you. You're a rock. And, you know, I don't know what you feel like from day to day. Sometimes I, I feel more like a... A, a, a broken, crumbled cookie more than a, a rock. But, you know, God knows what he has in store for us. And uh, when he looks at you, that's what he sees. He sees where you are, but he sees where he wants to take you. And that's why he gives us this invitation to come. So now Jesus has John, Andrew, and now Simon. And that's the end of the first day. The 10th hour was about 4 p.m., they went from 6 in the morning to 6 at night, the Roman time. Uh, oh wait, no, that was Jewish time, I'm sorry. And so it was towards the end of the day. So they only had time to go grab the 
his brother. But look, the next day, it says, verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And so he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, I like this. First of all, we see Andrew bringing his brother to Jesus, saying, uh, I like this, we found the Messiah. And you can say, well, okay, John said there he is, and they went after him, and okay, we found him. But look at this, Philip, uh, uh, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to him, he found Philip and said, follow me. The Lord is out seeking to save those who are lost. And that's what the Bible says about him. But I like this. Philip now, who was from Bethsaida, the same town as Andrew and Peter, he goes, verse 45, and finds Nathanael and says to him, we found him of whom Moses wrote. Right? Here Jesus said, I want you to follow me. But he says, we found him. And isn't that kind of interesting? When you look at your own life, sometimes you think, oh, wow, my life fell apart. I turned to look for the Lord. And I found him. When at the same time, you could say that the Bible says, Jesus knew all about us. And even before we were born, he came to earth to be able to rescue us. And God has been working through his Holy Spirit to find us that we might find him. And uh, that's an interesting picture. So Philip finds Nathaniel. And I like this about Nathaniel. Philip tells him, listen, you know all the stories in the Bible. Moses wrote about the prophet who was going to come. And, 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 and Moses wrote about the seed of the woman who would be born to crush the head of Satan. And, and he starts talking about how the prophets predicted so many things about the Savior. And he said, listen, we finally found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel turns to him and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I know about Nazareth. I know the reputation. And there's nothing good that I know of coming out of Nazareth. So you're telling me that's the Savior? Uh, I don't think so. But Philip says to him, come and see. Come check it out. Come look at the evidence for yourself. My friends, listen, we live in a day and age where there's scoffers much worse than Nathaniel was. And there's preconceived ideas about who the Savior is. And we may have even bought into some of them. But the message from the Word of God is, come see, check it out for yourselves, look at the evidence. Because when you do, you'll find the same thing Nathaniel did. Is that those preconceived ideas, many of them are wrong. But the Word of God is true, and you'll see the same thing that they did. He is the Son of God, and believing in Him, you'll have life in His name. That's why John the Apostle wrote this down. He saw it happen in Nathaniel's life. And he can do it in yours. doesn't matter what questions or doubts you have. Jesus still sends out the same message. And he invites us to give out the same message Andrew said. Just come and see. Look, at, look into the word of God. Look at the life of Jesus. And see for yourself. So Nathaniel starts coming towards Jesus. And it, it says before he even got there, Jesus says of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in him is no deceit. And this is such an interesting part of the story. Nathaniel turns and says, how do you know me? I've never even met you and you're telling me I'm an Israelite in whom is no deceit. He's still got this skepticism in his heart, right? How, how do you know me? But Jesus responds to him. He's not put off by our doubts and questions. Jesus answered in verse 48 and says to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus wasn't there. But he wanted Nathaniel to know, I knew about you. And I knew what was going on. I knew you were under the fig tree when Philip came to talk to you. 
And so Nathanael answers in verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He realized it. That's the same thing that the... You remember, it, we're going to study it in John chapter 4. When Jesus went to the woman at the well, she was speaking to the Lord Jesus, and he began to, to say things about her life that she never told him, that was just secret information. And when she heard that, she, she, she's like, um, I see that you're a prophet. But she says in the course of the conversation, when the Savior, the Messiah comes, he will declare to us, he will teach us all things. That was how she recognized he was the Savior. He spoke to me things that were in my own heart. That's how I know that he was the Son of God. Nathaniel, knowing and seeing that Jesus knew what no one else knew, he said, oh man, this really is the King of Israel. He is the real deal. And... He believed in Jesus. And I love this part of the story. Jesus answers and says, Okay, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Well, you will see greater things than these. Here's the promise. This small detail in Nathaniel's life had a huge impression on Nathaniel at drawing him to Christ. But Christ is saying, the life that you will experience with me will cause these things to fail in comparison. There's something so much more grand than, than just knowing something hidden in your mind. What is that great thing? And verse 51 is a strange statement unless you know the story from the Old Testament. And it seems to me that this is the story that perhaps, and this is not stated explicitly in Scripture, but it seems if I just can put on my little imagination cap and do some sanctified, hopefully, imagining. What is it that Nathaniel was thinking about under the fig tree that day? Is it possible? The, the story that Jesus refers to here in 51, where he says, Most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's... It, it's so much like the vision and the dream that Jacob had when he was running for his life from his brother Esau who was seeking to kill him. And he got to this place that he called Bethel, the house of God, because when he fell asleep there that night, he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw the heavens open and there was a, 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 a somewhat of a ladder coming down from heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the ladder. And when he woke up in the morning, he said, oh my goodness, what a special place this is. It's the house of God. And, and, and so he... He set up a pillar as a monument to the fact that this was the place where he had this vision of the heaven open and the angels coming up and down from heaven to earth in that place. And I wonder if he was thinking, as he was thinking about, uh, uh, if this was the story he was thinking, this is my imagination part. Is it possible he was thinking, that guy Jacob, man, he was such a trickster, deceitful, and God revealed himself to him in such a personal way, and that's amazing. And at the same time, he began to think about Jacob and his own deceitfulness. You know what it's like when God starts turning the, your eyes of, from looking at the picture in someone else's life, and he says, uh, uh, what about you, Dave? What's going on in your heart? Don't you have some shady parts in your heart, too? That, you know, you, you, you're not exactly the most honest person in the world. You're a bit of a deceiver. You don't want people to see the reality of that. You're trying to put on a facade. 
Is it possible he was kind of relating himself, comparing himself to Jacob, and here he, he's on his way to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, here's an Israelite in whom is no deceit. <laughs> and he might say, how do you know me? You don't know nothing about me. I know what's in my heart. But there was quite a bit of honesty in Nathaniel. He wasn't afraid to speak his mind. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? But he was still an honest seeker. And so God revealed himself to him. Jesus said, hey, I saw you there under the fig tree. Whoa. Did he even know the story he was thinking about? Maybe. Because he does seem to be referring to this scene of Jacob's dream. But what's the significance of that? Besides the fact that maybe Nathaniel was thinking about it, what is he saying? Jesus is making a promise. He says, listen, to those of you who've responded to my invitation, I just want you to know, you think that coming to me is wonderful and spectacular? The life that is waiting ahead of you is way more grand than that. Because, look, he says to him, and the grammar is, is interesting. He says to him, Nathaniel, singular, most assuredly, and Jesus never had to say most assuredly anything, right? If you've got a red letter Bible, it's Jesus speaking. Jesus is the truth. He always speaks the truth. It doesn't need to say truly, truly, I say to you. But he wanted to pronounce this. Listen, pay close attention. This is something you need to take in. This is something most assuredly true. I say to you, plural, to you all. It's not just a message for Nathaniel. I'm saying to you all. Hereafter, you shall see the heaven standing open and staying open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a title that Jesus used of himself to articulate the fact that he was God's chosen man to bring salvation to mankind. And Jesus is saying, just like Jacob saw a ladder that would connect earth to heaven, Jesus himself is that ladder. You will see the opening of heaven for mankind through Jesus. And they witnessed it. Have you seen heaven opened so that you can come to heaven? Are you seeing it in the lives of those around you? God wants us to get a taste of this. And it begins with our own response. Remember the come and see. He says, don't just come to me, salvation. Abide with me. Remain with me. Let me commune with you through life. Let me transform you. Let me use you like I'm using Philip and Andrew and Peter and the other men in the Bible who, who were, they turned the world upside down. Or you could say right side up. Because they walked with Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's observing our lives and he's inviting us to join Him. Not only now, but for all eternity. Will you come and see? Will you enter into the promise of everlasting life? The promise of His presence and power working in your life and through your life throughout time here on earth? And then, to take that walk up the ladder of Jesus Himself to enter into eternity with Him. There's no other way to get there, you know. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus said to Mary and Martha, there's only one thing necessary in this life, if you know me. And that's what Mary was doing, seated at his feet, listening to his word. And from there, he'll take care of the rest. Let's pray. Lord, how to put these things into practice. Lord, we feel 
the busyness of our lives. We feel the, the need to, to do the things that are before us, and yet there's something even more important than these physical things. It's to know you, to walk with you, to live with you, to know that our sin is forgiven, and then to be in fellowship, communion with you day by day, that we may see all that you have in store for us, that we may see the plan that you have for our lives actually fulfilled day by day. Lord, we thank you for this small glimpse into a day or two in the life of Jesus as he came face to face with these men and they came face to face with him, discovering what their hearts had been longing for all along. Lord, as you ask us, what do you seek? May we respond with the same desire. Lord, we just want to be with you. Where are you staying today? We want to be there too. We could just commit ourselves to your care as we part. Bring us back again to uh, to worship our Savior uh, in, t- tonight and throughout the week. And uh, use us, Lord, as we have influence in the lives around us. In Jesus' name, amen.